Worm was born William Henry Wood at 11.56 a.m. in the United Hospital of Pine Harbor, a small New York town off the Metro North Railroad. With the help of a pair of forceps, my twin brother reluctantly slid down the same trail I'd blazed exactly six minutes before. And while I slipped from the womb inverted, putting my best face forward, Worm kicked and climbed a fruitless trajectory toward the warmth and comfort of our old duplex. Were it not for my mother's ardent desire to rid herself of our combined 16.2 pounds, the doctor might have just thrown up his sticky latex hands and let Worm return home. Little did he know, however, that Worm's first actions in the maternity ward would define a pattern that would follow him throughout his short lifetime. My brother was born with an innate consciousness. He lacked the curiosity and intrepidness of life's design. It was a quirk that prevented his ability to take the risks that allow us to grow and prosper in our formative years. And oftentimes, when faced with the choice between warm darkness and a light at the end of a long, dilated tunnel, Worm's visceral reaction was to turn away and take a nap. I like to believe that I was born fearless, but I, as with all twins, know I must consider a second truth. A truth where instinctively reacting to my brother's reclusion and reticence, fearlessness was born into me. And in this same truth, it may well be that the veracity at which I consumed life was what pushed my brother further to seclusion. You see, rarely are people given the opportunity to see what could have been. Rarely do we have foresight and rarely word returns from the frontier of ambush and slaughter before our own wagons approach the same savage territories. Only a meager few of us have someone of equal age and upbringing to forge forward while we watch safely from the shadows. Only twins can vicariously learn of our peril or success before taking the risk ourselves. Only twins can sit on the sidelines and still carry the trophy home. Only twins can opt out of living their lives while still living a life. Only twins. Worm was one of the unfortunates afforded this luxury. He was unblessed with the prudence to succeed without risk, try without error, and jump while both looking first and having a spotter to guide him through. The carelessness of the salad days of my youth led me to broken bones, bloodied noses, and a veritable railway of scars and stitches. And while my brother lived his short life unscathed by physical harm or social hardship, this unnatural dynamic robbed him of mental and emotional growth, the protective scar tissue that develops from failure. At home, I became the ambassador of our world. At school, my friends were his friends, and he vicariously loved through the trysts and turns of my early relationships. Even my face boasted a fine fuzz of pubescence a full month prior to his. My first word was ours. My second was worm. And after nearly a year of silence, translated with non-verbal glances and grimaces to yours truly, Worm finally stammered through his first syllable and joined the world of speakers. The brief joy our mother and Eli felt was quickly replaced with concern. What followed were evenings spent in makeshift elocution class. My brother and me were posted in twin high chairs at opposing ends of the kitchen table. Eli and Mom were stationed at the adjacent sides, with Eli trying fruitlessly to get my brother to repeat simple words. Through the ritual, I quickly became a chattering, babbling ape. 
my brother remained a mine. After weeks without progress, where Worm refused to repeat any additional syllables and his tongue continued to butcher the one he knew, our mother prescribed a trip to the pediatrician. My first memory was the first time me and Worm were separated. With increasing irritation as mothers coddled and canoodled me in the waiting room, I heard Worm stutter over and over in ascending volume until he was shouting at the top of his lungs his one-word vocabulary. I felt helpless. I felt enraged. And when someone's grandma pinched my cheek a third time, I smacked her hand away and I ran to the reception desk demanding to see my brother. I quickly inspected Worm. Surely such screams elicited foul play, but I found none. Confused, I tried to envelop him in a hug, but my brother deftly evaded my arms and hid behind me. There he was safe from the doctors. In retrospect, I realized two things happened that day. One, my haphazard attack on the geriatric in the waiting room began a long history of physical altercations in my life. And two, I'd never hear worms speak louder than a whisper again. The car ride home was rife with hushed mumblings from the front seat. Belted in matching booster seats, I listened to Eli condemn the doctor. There is nothing wrong with William, he said. And if there was, he said, a speech impediment is anything but common and trivial. Well, I didn't know what those words meant. Didn't understand what they were talking about and couldn't bring myself to realize that my brother and, by association, I were less than invincible. The front seat refused to blame me, as the doctor had, for retarding the growth of Worm's verbal cortex, the speech center in his brain. I still felt somehow responsible for their anger and my brother's newfound imperfection. Worm must have heard them too, must have sensed my impending guilt, and must have felt my first fraternal forsaking. On my left, I heard him faintly stammer his first and only word once more. No.